Chapter Sixteen of the Lances of Linwood by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Four or five weeks had passed away since Sir John Chandos had quitted the Chateau Norbel. The knight had nearly recovered his full strength, but still wore his broken arm in a scarf when one evening as he was sitting on the battlements delighting the ears of arthur and of gaston with an interminable romance of chivalry three or four horsemen bearing the colours and badges of the black prince were descried riding towards the castle knight squire and page instantly descended to the courtyard which in short space was entered by the messengers the principal of whom an elderly man-at-arms respectfully saluted the knight and delivered to him a parchment scroll tied with silk of scarlet and blue supporting the heavy seal of the prince of wales and duke of aquitaine and addressed to the hands of the honourable knight banneret sir eustace linwood castellan of the chateau norbel this document bore the signature of edward himself and contained his mandate to eustace to come immediately to his court at bordeaux leaving the command of the chateau norbel to the bearer the old man-at-arms was closely questioned all the evening respecting the state of the court but he could give little information sir john chandos was at bordeaux and had daily attended the council to which the prince was devoting more attention than usual a vessel had also arrived bearing letters from england to the prince this was all the information that could be obtained the next morning eustace with gaston arthur and ingram all full of expectation and delighted at the change from the gloomy solitary old castle were all posting on their way back to bordeaux they slept at a hostel about twelve miles from the town first however by desire of the prince's messengers sending ingram on to announce their speedy arrival and about ten in the morning rode into the town there was evidently some grand spectacle at hand for the bordelais gentle and simple in holiday habits were proceeding in the direction of the palace but the knight and his attendants had no time to wait for inquiries and pressed on with the stream to the gates of the courtyard where they found warders placed to keep back the dense throng of people at the mention of sir eustace's name they readily and respectfully admitted him and his companions into the court ha cried gaston what means this is there a tilt towards this reminds me of the good old days ere the prince fell ill the lists the galleries the ladies the prince's own share of state too oh sir eustace i could tear my hair that you cannot yet use your sword-arm can it be a challenge on the part of folk said eustace or a reply to yours arthur yet that can hardly be and see there is no barrier in the midst only a huge block what can be intended i do not see agnes among the ladies in the galleries said arthur looking up as eagerly and more openly than his uncle was doing and oh here comes the princess yes and lord edward and little richard with her and here is the prince himself leaning on the earl of cambridge uncle eustace lord edward is beckoning to me may i run to him come with me since i must present myself 
said eustace dismounting as one of the prince's squires held his horse and oh who is yonder dark-browed dwarfish knight at the prince's right hand cried arthur eustace could scarcely believe his eyes as he looked where the boy pointed the royal party were now seated in full array on their raised platform the prince upon his chair of state with more of brightness in his eye and of vigour in his movements than when eustace had last seen him and at his side sat his wife her features still retaining the majestic beauty of joan plantagenet the fair maid of kent but worn and faded with anxiety she watched her princely lord with an eye full of care and could scarcely spare attention for the lovely child who clung to her side and whose brilliantly fair complexion wavy flaxen hair high brow and perfectly formed though infantine features already promised that remarkable beauty which distinguished the countenance of richard the second on the other side of the prince sat his sister-in-law the countess of cambridge a spanish infanta and her husband edmund afterwards duke of york was beside the princess of wales but more wonderful than all among them stood the constable of france the two boys prince edward and his cousin henry of lancaster were stationed as pages on each side of the princess but as their playfellow arthur advanced with his uncle they both sprang down the steps of the gallery to meet him and each took a hand edward however first bethinking himself of the respect which prince as he was he owed to a belted knight made his reverence to sir eustace who at a sign from the prince of wales mounted the steps and bent his knee to the ground before him nay sir eustace said the prince bending forward it is rather i who should kneel to you for pardon i have used you ill eustace and i fear me transgressed the pledge which i gave to your brother on the plain of navaretta oh say not so my gracious liege said eustace as tears gathered in his eyes it was but that your noble ear was deceived by the slanders of my foes true sir eustace yet once edward of england would not have heard a slanderous tale against one of his well-proved knights without sifting it well but i am not as once i was sickness hath unnerved me and i fear me hath often led me to permit what may have dimmed my fame who would have dared to tell me that i should suffer my castles to be made into traps for my faithful knights and now sir eustace that i am about to repair my injustice towards you let me feel as a man whose account for this world must ere long be closed that i have your forgiveness the prince took the hand of the young knight who struggled hard with his emotion and here is another friend he added a firmer friend though foe than you have found some others well met my chivalrous godson said the constable du guesclin holding out his hand i rejoice that my neighbour oliver did not put an end to your phased d'arms i marvel eustace hardly found words between wonder and condolence the prince caught the import of his hesitating sentences he thinks you a prisoner sir bertrand he said 
no sir eustace monsieur le connetable is captive only in his good will to you i wrote to pray him to send me his witness to those last words of your brother since you had ever appealed to him and he replied by an offer which does us too much honour to become our guest i am no scribe apart from my fairy dame tiphaine said du guesclin abruptly it cost me less pains to ride hither besides that i longed to renew my old english acquaintances and see justice done to you fair godson ha sir bertrand thou recreant so no other spell drew thee hither thou hast no gallantry even for such an occasion as this said a gay voice how should the ill-favoured knight deal in gallantries said du guesclin turning here is one far fitter for your grace's eyes and you discourteous constable were keeping him for your own behoof when all my maidens have been speaking for weeks of no name but the knight of the beleaguered castle and eustace had to kiss the fair hand of the princess of wales in the meantime the three boys were whispering together it is all well all gloriously well is it not arthur as i told you said edward i knew my father would settle all in his own noble fashion what said the master of the damoiseaux asked arthur as the sight of that severe functionary revived certain half-forgotten terrors oh he the old crabstock said henry he looked sour enough at first but edward kept your counsel well till you were safe at a good distance from bordeaux and then though he said somewhat of complaining to my lord the prince it was too late to mend it and when sir john chandos came back and bade him be content he vowed you were enough to spoil a whole host of pages but did not we all wish some of our uncles would get themselves betrayed but what means all this preparation asked arthur these lists oh surely there is not to be a tourney which i have so longed to see no that cannot be my mother says while my father is still so weakly and ill but there are the trumpets you will soon see what will befall and with a loud blast of trumpets the gorgeously arrayed heralds rode into the court followed by a guard of halberdiers in the midst of whom rode a knight in bright armour his visor closed but his shield and crest marking the baron of clarinum when the trumpets had ceased and the procession reached the centre of the lists they halted and drew up in order the principal herald aquitaine immediately in front of the prince after another short clear trumpet blast aquitaine unrolled a parchment and in a loud voice proclaimed the confession of folk baron of clarinum of his foul and unknightly conduct in attempting to betray the person of the good knight and true eustace linwood knight banneret with that of his esquire gaston d'obricourt and of certain other trusty and well-beloved subjects of his liege lord king edward of england together with the fortalice called chateau norbel in the county of gascoigne appertaining to my lord edward prince of wales and duke of aquitaine into the hands of the enemy 
having for that purpose tampered with and seduced thibault sanchez seneschal of the castle tristan de la fleche and certain others who having confessed their crime have received their deserts by being hung on a gallows upon which same gallows it was decreed by the authority of the prince duke and governor of aquitaine that the shield of folk to clarinum should be hung he himself being degraded from the honours and privileges of knighthood of which he had proved himself unworthy and his lands forfeited to the king to be disposed of at his pleasure clarinum was then compelled to dismount from his horse and to place first one foot and then the other upon the block where a broad red-faced cook raising his cleaver cut off the golden spurs sir john chandos as constable of aquitaine then came forward and taking the shield from the arm of clarinum gave it reversed into the hands of one of the heralds who carried it away the belt another token of knighthood was next unbuckled and chandos taking the sword broke it in three pieces across his knee saying lie there dishonoured steel and throwing it down by the spurs lastly the helmet with the baronial bars across the visor was removed and thrown to the ground leaving visible the dark countenance where the paleness of shame and the flush of rage alternated and now away with the traitor away with the recreant knight out upon him cried in a loud voice sir john chandos while the shout was taken up by a deafening multitude of voices in the midst of which the degraded knight and landless baron made his way to the gate and as he passed out a redoubled storm of shouts and yells arose from without out upon the traitor cried harry of lancaster with the loudest away with him but edward and you too arthur why shout you not hate you not traitors and treason i would not join my voice with the rabble said edward and it makes me sad to see knighthood fallen what say you arthur alas he is my mother's kinsman said arthur and i loved his name for her sake as for that of agnes too where is agnes in the convent of the benedictine nuns said edward but in your ear arthur what say you to our plan that she shall be heiress of her brother's lands on condition of her wedding guess whom not mine uncle oh lord edward is it really so how rejoiced old ralph would be speak not of it arthur it was my mother who told me when agnes craved permission to go to the convent and i feared she would become one of those black-veiled nuns and i should never see her more where is my uncle asked arthur gazing round i thought he was standing by the lady princess's chair he went to speak to sir john chandos but now said prince henry but i see him not mark what a lull in the sounds without in fact the various cries of execration which had assailed full clarinum on his exit from the gates of the castle after sounding more and more violent for some minutes had suddenly died away almost into stillness and the cause was one little guessed at within the court the unhappy folk was moving onwards almost as in a dream without aim or object 
other than to seek a refuge from the thousand eyes that marked his disgrace and the tongues that upbraided him with it but in leaving the court he entered upon a scene where danger as well as disgrace was to be apprehended the rabble of the town ever pleased at the fall of one whose station was higher than their own mindful of unpaid debts and harsh and scornful demeanour and as natives rejoiced at the misfortune of a foreigner all joined in one cry of away with the recreant englishman down with him down with him every hand was armed with a stone and brief would have been folk's space for repentance had not the cry in its savage tones struck upon the ear of eustace as he stood in the lists receiving the congratulations of sir john chandos and of other knights who with changed demeanour came to greet the favoured hero they will murder him exclaimed eustace and breaking from his new friends he made his way to the gate and hurried into the town just as folk had fallen to the ground struck by a heavy stone hurled by the hand of no other than john ingram he rushed forward amid the hail of stones and as he lifted clarinum's head called out how is this brave men of bordeaux would you become murderers is this like honourable men to triumph over the fallen they held back in amazement for a second then as eustace knelt by him and tried to recall his consciousness murmurs arose why interferes he with our affairs he is english and they all held together another of the purse-proud english who pays no debts and ruined the poor bordelais his blood we will have if we cannot have his money away master knight be not so busy about the traitor if you would not partake his fate eustace looked up as the stones were uplifted and more than one free companion had drawn his sword hold he exclaimed in a clear full-toned voice that filled every ear hold i am eustace linwood the castellan of chateau norbel there was an instant silence everyone pressed forward to see him whose recent adventures had made him an object of much interest and curiosity and the attention of the crowd was entirely diverted from the former unhappy subject of their pursuit whispers passed of noble knight flower of chivalry how generous and christian-like he bends over his enemy nay if he revenge not himself what right have we and see his arm is still in a scarf from the treachery of those villains well i would yet give yon ruffian his desert by this time eustace having observed ingram among the crowd summoned him to his side and at the same time courteously craving the aid of one of the bystanders who of course though collectively lions were individually lambs succeeded in conveying clarinum whose senses had so far returned that he was able to rise with their assistance to the door of a monastery chapel the porch of which opened upon the street holy fathers said eustace i crave the protection of the church for an unhappy and i trust a penitent man praying you will tend him well to the aid and relief alike of body and soul until you hear from me again 
with these words he quitted the chapel before his late enemy had sufficiently recovered his faculties to recognize his preserver leonard ashton for whom eustace inquired had it appeared saved himself by making full confession and had been sent home in deep disgrace though spared public dishonour it was some few days after these events that the presence of the lady agnes de clarenham was requested in the parlour of her nunnery which was some miles distant from bordeaux by a person who as the portress informed her was the bearer of a message from the princess of wales she descended accordingly but her surprise was great on beholding instead of one of the female attendants of her mistress as she had expected the slender figure of the young knight with whom she had last parted at the hostelry her first feeling was not one of kindness towards him agnes had indeed grieved and felt indignant when she saw him oppressed and in danger from her brother's treachery but in these days of favour she could not regard with complacency the cause of her brother's ruin and of the disgrace of her house she started and would have retreated but that he prevented by saying in a tone which had in it more of sorrow than of any other feeling lady agnes i pray you to hear me for you have much to forgive forgive nay sir eustace it is you who have so much to forgive my unhappy house oh can you she added as the countenance and manner recalling long past days made her forget her displeasure can you tell me where the wretched one has shrouded his head from the shame which even i cannot but confess he has merited i heard of the baron of your brother this very morn said eustace from one of the good brethren of the convent where he has taken shelter the convent of the augustan friars of st mary they spoke of him as amended in health and though sorely dejected returning they hoped to a better spirit thanks sir eustace even so do i hope and pray it may be since repentance is the only good which can yet be his but tell me sir eustace for vague rumours only reach us in this lonely cell was it true that the populace pursued the fallen one with clamours and might even have slain him but for his rescue by a gallant knight who braved their utmost fury it was even so lady said eustace with some embarrassment oh who was that noblest of knights that i may name his name in my most fervent prayers who has that strongest claim on the gratitude of the broken-hearted sister nay lady it was but the common duty the mere mercy of a christian man who could not see a fellow-creature die such a death without attempting to save him oh sir eustace it is not like your former self to deny the greatness of a noble deed i will not be robbed of my gratitude tell me the name of that most noble of men he half smiled then looking down and colouring deeply do you remember lady agnes the knight whom you bound by a promise that in the case of the triumph of his cause eustace eustace 
oh i should have known that nothing was too great and high for you that you would not disparage the nobleness of any other than yourself oh how shall i ever render you my thanks after such cruel treachery as that from which you have and i fear me are still suffering alas alas that i should be forced to use such harsh words of my own brother i trust you may still be comforted lady said eustace from what the good fathers tell me there is hope that folk may yet be an altered man and when the pilgrimage to the holy land which he has vowed is concluded may return in a holy temper return but whither should he return said agnes in a broken despondent tone landless homeless desolate outcast and what shelter is open to him for if the porteress's tale spoke truth his lands and manors are forfeited to the king they are so in truth but there is one way agnes in which they may still be restored to their true owner how so what mean you sir eustace agnes i would not have broken upon your sorrow by speaking thus abruptly but that the prince's or rather the king's desire was urgent that the matter should be determined without loss of time to you in all justice does he will that the castles and manors of clarinum should descend but on one condition agnes raised her eyes and while she slowly shook her head looked anxiously at him as he paused in considerable embarrassment on condition that you lady agnes should permit the king and prince to dispose of your fair hand in marriage agnes gave a slight cry and leant against the grate of the parlour oh that may never be and but how advantageth that poor folk because lady agnes because it is to me that they would grant that hand which i have so long loved passionately and hopelessly agnes it was not willingly but at the command of the prince that i came hither with a suit which must seem to you most strangely timed from one who has been the most unwilling cause of so much misery to you whom from earliest years he has ever loved more than his own life i know too that you cannot endure to rise on the ruin of your brother nor could i bear to feel that i was living on the lands of a kinsman and neighbour whose overthrow i had wrought but see you not that jointly we can do what we never could do separately that the condition fulfilled we could kneel before king edward and entreat for the pardon and restoration of folk which to such prayers he would surely grant agnes's tears were gathering fast and she spoke in a broken voice as she said eustace you are the most generous of knights and then ashamed of having said so much covered her face with her veil and turned away eustace stood watching her with his soul in his eyes but before either had summoned courage to break the silence the portress came hurrying in good luck good luck if ever my eyes saw the like here is the princess of wales herself at the gate and all her train where is sister catherine where is the mother abbess alas 
alas that naught should be ready to receive her oh and i have mislaid the key of the great gate while the good woman was bustling on in her career eustace had time to say yea agnes the princess is come in case you hear my suit favourably to conduct you back to bordeaux think of a true and devoted heart think of folk ere you decide as he spoke the whole train of black-veiled nuns came sweeping into the parlour whence agnes hastily escaped to collect her thoughts during the few instants before she could be summoned to attend the princess while eustace walked into the convent court which was by this time filled by the gay party which accompanied the princess agnes quickly gained her cell and sank down on her bed to make the most of the minutes that might be her own never probably had lady shorter time in which to decide or did it seem more impossible to come to a resolution but agnes had known eustace all her life had never met one whom she thought his equal found him raised a thousandfold in her estimation by the events of the day and could not bear to think of disappointing the hopes which had lighted up that bright eye and animated that whole face then too why by her own act completely ruin her brother the thoughts flashed through her mind in rapid succession and she did not rise with much reluctance when called to meet the princess though longing for more time which after all would but have enabled her to harass herself more well my gentle agnes said the princess what say you come you back to the court where my boys are wearying for their playfellow hasten then sweet maiden for i promised little edward to bring you back and i know not how to face his wrath if you come not agnes still almost dreaming offered no opposition but allowed her dress to be arranged took leave of the abbess and her nuns and shortly found herself she scarcely knew how mounted on her palfrey in the princess's train with sir eustace linwood at her side and old ralph penrose was one of the happiest of mankind when he beheld his pupil return the first night in the county the honoured of the prince for the next seven years the clarinum vassals rejoiced in the gentle noble and firm rule of their new lord and lady yet it was remarked with some surprise that the title of baron of clarinum was dropped and that sir eustace and dame agnes linwood instead of living at their principal castle took up their abode at a small manor which had descended to the lady from her mother while the castle was placed under the charge of gaston d'obicourt beneath whose care the fortifications assumed a more modern character and the garrison learnt the newest fashions of handling their weapons at the end of that time sir eustace and his lady travelled to the court where alas of all the royal party who had rejoiced at their marriage they found only the young king richard the second and his mother the princess joanna once the fair maid of kent but now sadly aged by time and sorrow who received kindly though tearfully those who reminded her of those last bright days of her life at bordeaux and readily promised to forward their request at the council where alas she said shaking her head lord henry of lancaster now earl of bolingbroke too often loved to oppose her and her son 
no one at the council could refuse though the amazement of all was great when the request was made known that king richard would be pleased to reinstate in his titles lands and manors folk late baron of clarinum in consideration of his good services to christendom rendered on the coast of africa under the banner of the knights of st john whose grand master attested his courage and faithfulness soon clarinum castle opened its gates to receive its humbled repentant and much changed lord who was welcomed by all the gentle blood in the county at the head of whom rode sir eustace with his squire and his nephew arthur now a gallant young man only waiting the summons promised him by the princess to receive knighthood at the same time as his royal master richard the second end of chapter sixteen end of the lances of linwood by charlotte mary young recording by carol pelster